if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you for being with us as we get rolling at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Thursday, the ninth morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Big day today, long day today. I'm going to have uh, five of the next six hours. Um, you will be hearing my voice on AM 1420, The Answer. Well, as long as you can stay with us anyway. Dennis Prager has the day, and I will be sitting in for the brilliant Dennis Prager coming up from noon to three. And um, we're going to give you a little bit of a, a replay of sorts. It's going to be live. But yesterday we had uh, Jack Windsor, who is um, an amazing reporter for WMFD-TV down in uh, Mansfield, who has been doing incredible work covering the Ohio Chinese coronavirus scare, and more importantly, perhaps more devastatingly, the Governor DeWine and Amy Acton, for the bulk of all of this, response to the Chinese coronavirus scare. And uh, Jack Windsor is opening a lot of people's eyes and getting a lot of important uh, information out there that the governor hates because Jack is exposing the governor's lies and misstatements about how dangerous this uh, virus really is. So we've we've done this for the last several weeks. We've had Jack on about once a week, and I think it's time to take him national. So uh, Jack will be joining me uh, on the Dennis Prager program at about 12.20, 12.15, this afternoon. You're going to want to make sure you hear that. So I want to make sure that everybody who listens to the Dennis Prager show knows what's going on in the state of Ohio. Because I have a sneaking suspicion that some of the same nonsense going on in Ohio is going on in a lot of the other states, and people don't know about it. Things like uh, tricking the citizenry into thinking that a spread is much more severe and much more dire than it actually is. And Jack has exposed this by proving and getting confirmation from the uh, governor's office that multiple tests of COVID, uh, let me rephrase, multiple COVID tests, are being counted as individual cases, even if those tests are done on the same person. You understand? We talked about this at length, and we'll continue to cover this because there, is, there are more and more of our freedoms that are slowly being eroded as a result of this, uh, this ongoing uh, ridiculousness. 
They are testing the same person for the same virus multiple times, and each time it comes back positive, it counts as a new case. Then they report 990 new cases in Ohio in the last 24 hours, and people are tricked into thinking that means 990 new people have been infected. First of all, that would be and should be next to non-news, Because for the vast majority of people who do contract the virus, it is harmless to them. They're asymptomatic, or if they do get sick, they get sick and with no worse of of an impact than a seasonal flu. 99% plus survival rate, and of course we know those that are most affected are the elderly and those with comorbidities, in other words, other underlying health conditions. But the bottom line is, to the enormous majority of the general public, the virus is going to be literally harmless. But despite that fact, the spread of the virus is still being used to scare people. And they're saying new cases, new cases, new cases makes it sound like 990 new people walked into clinics for the first time and found out they had the coronavirus. It is a lie. They test people again and again and again in order to let them out of isolation. And each time they test positive, they mark it as a new case. So the numbers are completely fabricated. All of this, nationally too, and again, I should probably not just focus on Ohio. That's why I want to bring Jack nationally uh, on the Prager program. Because um, we're seeing the same thing. You know, I, I was watching uh, Fox News a little bit this morning in between the Hugh Hewitt show, by the Major way. ruling from the held, Supreme Court. Sorry about that. Held, uh, uh, held uh, ably, uh, the Ford held down ably by Kurt Schlichter this morning for Hugh. But uh, watching Fox News, and I think they said, what was the number yesterday? 125,000 new cases. Again, a case is not a person. A case is one test. And it may be of somebody who's already been tested. And maybe several times. So we're just not going to do it. We're not gonna we're not gonna fall into uh, you know this trap anymore as it pertains to um, the Chinese coronavirus. However, the governor still thinks that he can force you to take steps to limit your freedom, potentially compromise your own health um, by wearing masks. The mask mandate for uh, for uh, Ohio counties that are classified code red. They are in the red zone of the four color color chart that. Um, that Mike DeWine and his team have put together. And, of course, you know the drill. Uh, Cuyahoga is one of them. You have to wear a mask if you're in one of those counties considered to be spiking, considered to be high risk for infections. So you're in the code red and you have to wear these masks. And more and more police officers and police leaders are starting to speak out in response to this, saying, don't bother calling us. We're not coming to enforce mask mandates. Now, will it be that way for the uh, chief of police in the city of Cleveland? I don't know. Calvin Williams is a good man, but he's been forced to do some things and, and take some positions perhaps that uh, he may, may or may not uh, 100% endorse because he is being you know ordered around by his boss, Mayor Frank Jackson. But I can tell you this, Berea police, Berea police are ready to go with not enforcing mask mandates. Yesterday, it was yesterday or Tuesday, we told you what Frank Jackson said about 911. I think it was Tuesday's program. Because we uh, noted, uh, thanks to a Fox 8i team report, that since uh, March, some 13,000 911 calls to Cleveland's 911 dispatch center uh, went unanswered. 
911 is for emergencies only, obviously, and that means people who are in serious jeopardy, serious danger from one re- for one reason or another. And they couldn't answer 13,000 calls. And now make Frank Jackson said, well, we don't want to have to have 911 used to report people with masks, but uh, right now that is what we have to do. He wants people to call 911. Police are saying, don't do that. Don't bother with that. That is not our job, and that's not what we're going to do. You want to call and report somebody's not wearing a mask, call the health department. Let them enforce it however they want to, because we are not going to do it. So in a Facebook post last night in Berea, Berea residents were asked not to call 911 and overwhelm the police dispatch line with complaints about people not wearing masks. Quote, previous orders have been enforced by the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. There was a mention at yesterday's news conference that local law enforcement would enforce this order. Until we receive clarification and direct instruction on enforcement of this order, we cannot respond to calls of this nature, the department explained. They also issued a reminder about businesses having a right to deny service to those who choose not to wear a mask, and that's a different story. If the business, the the, uh, post from the Berea Police Department reads, if you refuse, the business can ask you to leave. If you refuse to leave, the police will enforce trespassing violations. This is obviously not something we want to do, so we're asking everyone's continued patience cooperation. That's a different animal altogether, in my view. If there's a store that says, hey, we demand that you wear a mask in order to come in here and be served, then okay, I will choose to go to another store. That is completely different than an ordered, mandated uh, masking by the government, by the state government or by the county government or what have you, uh, or the city of Cleveland itself. Stores can indeed refuse to serve anybody if they're not wearing the right shoes or shirt or, you know, the drill. Certain fancy restaurants, no tie, no service, you can't come in, all that sort of thing. So that's fine. Private businesses are allowed to be private and make their own rules. That's fine. As long as they're not discriminatory and they're applied evenly. And I'll go to another place. I'll go to another store. In fact, I won't even bother. I haven't since this whole thing began patronized any stores that told um, uh, uh consumers, customers, that they had to wear masks. But for the order to be given by the government and for, just as importantly, if not more importantly, for um, the executives to tell people to overrun the 911 system by calling and reporting people for not wearing masks, that's a different animal. First of all, the mask mandates are unconstitutional. And second of all, again, they are just flat-out uh, pointless. Sheriff Jones, Sheriff uh, Richard Jones, I believe is his first name, and it's okay if I don't recall it because what I do want to share with you is his words. It's not his name that matters here. Sheriff Jones is the sheriff of Butler County, Ohio, and uh, this is his response to the mask orders, the mandate being given by the state of Ohio. I'm, I'm not a scientist or a doctor. I believe that we're doing more tests and more people are going to test positive. Um, uh, I don't believe we should shut the economy down any more than it's already been damaged. People are trying to work. I know people are out of work. But when it comes to the mandatory mask, I am not going to be the mask police. I'm not going to enforce mask policing to where my deputies stop people and say, uh, put your mask on. Uh, that's not going to be the case. Um, it's, 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 it's out of control. And if people want to wear a mask, they should be able to wear a mask. And if not, they shouldn't. Um, I wear a mask when I go places. And the thing I like about the mask is people don't know who the hell I am. 
So that's pretty good for me, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, it's out of control. People are calling us right now wanting to know, do they have to wear them in their house? Do they? Uh, who the hell knows? This, every day it changes. We're a moving target. Uh, but I want the public to realize that don't call 911 because somebody's not wearing a mask. The police departments all over the United States, to include us, we've all taken cuts. We have less people. We have less money. We have less resources. But crime is still up. People are going to be angry. Don't call 911 for this. Call the health department. They're the ones that want to enforce this. Good for them. I am not going to be the mask police, period. I've got a lot of things I want to do and be in the mask police. I didn't wake up and say, man, I hope I get to be the mask police today. I do not and will not. Uh, let the health department that make all these rules and um, uh, let them enforce these. They can uh, get a little yellow light on their car and ride around and, and give people tickets. That's what they want to do, fine. They'll need the police in the end because people are getting angry uh, 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 all over the United States. They have a little tense time going right now and being made to do something and uh, these masks inside it changes every day and i assume it'll change within the hour but my main thrust is we're not going to enforce this edict from the governor on wearing masks that's uh, uh sheriff butler county sheriff jones um really really appreciate him and i really hope every sheriff in ohio's counties uh, all 88 counties do the exact same thing i hope chiefs of police do what he did berea police again said essentially the same thing maybe not with as much uh flavor as you just heard from sheriff jones i like wearing a mask because they don't know who the hell i am uh, but uh, but Berea police said the same thing. Do not call 911. Do not ask us as police to try to enforce this. We're not going to. Same message that Sheriff uh, uh, Jones just gave. Call the health department. They're the ones who are pushing this. Uh, call the governor. Make Mike DeWine ride around with a little yellow light on his car, as Sheriff Jones just did. Let him hand out these ridiculous uh, fines or citations. And by the way, good luck collecting nickel one from any one of those. Because I'll tell you what I'll do. Seriously. I will take any ticket or citation that I get, and maybe I'll fashion that into a little mask. How about that? But I'm not going to pay it. Uh, in fact, I don't even know if I would do that. I, I, I had a little fun. I went into a, a place up at Hillsdale when I moved my daughter home uh, a couple of months ago, and uh, there was a there was an order that you have to wear masks in the dorms in order to help move out stuff, and I'm not going to do that, so I wasn't going to do that, but I didn't want to uh, embarrass my daughter, uh, who's essentially being ordered to do things, and, you know, uh, and I'm with her. So I did. I uh, took a little uh, scotch tape, and I taped a short paper napkin uh, to the bottom of my sunglasses, and it floated and flapped in the breeze. It was a face covering. That's all it had to be was a face covering. I'll cover my face with a napkin. I'll cover my face with a, with a citation that I might get. But if you think I'm going to wear one of these fear masks, um, I think you know where that's going to end up. All right. I want to hear from you. 216-901-0945. Dr. Everett Piper will join me at the top of the next hour. He's got a lot to celebrate today, including a Supreme Court decision in which he was directly involved. The decision to allow religious liberty when it comes to religious organizations providing funding for things that let's just say things that violate their their the, the tenets of their faith and yes i'm talking about the little sisters of the poor and yes i'm talking about abortifacients and i'm talking about birth control huge win for religious liberty yesterday in the supreme court dr piper will join us to talk about that and more coming up am 1420 the answer
Okay, it's 926. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Everett Piper coming up in half an hour. Also, uh, going to have uh, three more hours today at noon. I'll be sitting in for the great Dennis Prager and very much looking forward to that. We're going to talk about a host of other things there than we do here. I want to share a story. Excuse me. I want to share a story with you that is not going to be in the newspapers. And I'm going to share a story with you briefly that should be in the newspapers. Now, the reason it's not is because they didn't advertise this to the media. I found this out through a back channel. And uh, I'm going with it, and I will keep my back channel sources anonymous. But I want to share this with you. As we continue this um, discussion in uh, the national public square about policing and about Black Lives Matter and about black families and about uh, uh, race relations and all the rest, right? The belief here is... The narrative being painted, rather, by the Black Lives Matter organization, the Marxist organization, which is uh, coordinating with other organizations to help destroy the entire foundation of the United States. You didn't think they were about black lives, did you? Well, that's cute that you did. Um, Their narrative is that police and the black community are at odds with one another, that the police and the black community hate one another, that somehow that police officers uh, hate black people and that uh, uh, black communities are threatened by police. This is the narrative that they try to paint. Never mind the fact that if you actually go into black neighborhoods, particularly in big cities, you will find people there begging for more police to come around because they are the ones being victimized all the time by crime within their own community. And black people appreciate the police. Never mind that fact. The story is that police and black communities uh, are at odds with one another. So I want to share this story that you won't see or hear anywhere else. But it's verifiable. The Cleveland Police Department, not as an organization uh, started by the chief, but members of the Cleveland Police Department... Uh, particularly the homicide unit, recently raised $2,000 on their own to help pay the funeral expenses for the black 17-year-old who was carjacked and murdered on Detroit Avenue, Avenue about a month ago by another black person who had just murdered someone else and was trying to get away. Now, this particular victim and his family are legal immigrants to the United States, they had no money for a funeral for this 17-year-old. This is a true victim. Black Lives Matter wasn't around. The Black Lives Matter organization didn't negotiate a reduced price at the funeral home. They didn't step up to pay for a coffin and a cemetery plot. You know, the way that they do if somebody is uh, involved in a police, uh, police-involved shooting or a white-black-involved situation. Black Lives Matter was nowhere to be found. You know who paid for this? $2,000 they raised the homicide unit of the Cleveland Police Department. They weren't asked to. They did it because they wanted to, because they saw the desperation and the need of a family whose 17-year-old child was just shot and killed in a terrible crime, and they did not want that family to suffer any more than they had to. Now, this was a month ago. Now, The homicide unit and Cleveland police officers who were responsible for this did not have to do a doggone thing. But they were there with the grieving black family. They watched and saw their pain. They felt their pain, and they felt they had to do something to try to help ease their pain and 
uh, the, the, pain, the, the pain of the officers. You know, people don't realize how hard it is. We talk about police officers putting their lives on the line. So many times they put their hearts on the line, too, because they see the grieving victims, the family members of victims of violent crimes, particularly killings. But this is who they are. The Cleveland police officers who raised that money are never going to get credit for it. But I want you to know that Black Lives Matter didn't do anything for this family. Jesse Jackson, the NAACP, the ACLU, Al Sharpton, Don Lemon, none of them did anything for this family. Benjamin Crump, Mayor Jackson, ambulance-chasing attorneys did nothing for this family. They were all gone because this didn't help advance their narrative. This was a black-on-black crime in a grieving black family that the Cleveland police and the homicide unit raised funds to help. It's a story that should be told, but one that won't be. Maybe you can share it with yours. And we'll be right back. Okay, 9.37, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks so much for being with us. Um, that, that story, I feel like, is, is, is one that should be told. And again, they didn't take it to the media. I found this from uh, kind, of an, uh, kind of a casual conversation, actually. Um, but the Cleveland Police Homicide Unit um, stepped up and, and took care of a family that you'll never hear about. Um, they took care of a family that was desperate and already just grieving enormously in ways you cannot imagine when you lose a child. Um, particularly to horrific gun violence, and uh, they stepped up, and uh, BLM didn't, and nobody will know. Nobody will know. These are the stories of police. Did you see the other story of Cleveland police on West 6th yesterday? It's another story that's going to come and go in very, very quick succession. Cleveland police officers being shot at on West 6th yesterday. We saw the video yesterday, rather. Police officers being shot at, and as they were trying to save their own lives, they they prioritized through the body cams. We saw the body cams uh, trying to uh, prioritize saving the lives of innocent bystanders who were near them, telling them, get in front of me, get in front of me, as shooting was coming from their rear. They were shielding, essentially, uh, shielding the citizens, the bystanders, with their own bodies. This is the kind of stuff... That again, you, you this this should be the this should be the lead story on CNN. It should be the lead story on Fox News. It should be the lead story everywhere. And instead, it is going to come and it's going to go. It's going to it's just going to be it's going to be a blink of an eye, and nobody's going to pay attention. That when we say police officers put their lives on the line, we mean they put their lives on the line. They're literally trying to stop other people. And by the way, this was a video from yesterday. I want to make it clear. The shootings didn't happen yesterday. But the body camera footage was released yesterday. And they were on West 6th Street and Johnson Court, and they were being shot at. And now they're trying to find the suspects. Obviously, that's why one of the reasons why they released the video. But if you watch that video yesterday, which I did for the first time, and you saw these officers, again, through their body cameras, being, uh, being shot at, and and watching the chaos and the panic, who to whom do or to whom does the public, the general public, turn 
when there's chaos and fear and violence. They turn to the cops, and the cops respond. Yeah, Again, this is one of the people say to me, why are you always kissing the butts of the cops on the radio? And I've been doing this for 20 years plus. Why are you always kissing the butts of the cops? And the answer is because when bullets start flying and normal people flee, the guys wearing the blue uniforms and the badges run toward the bullets. That's why I get the backs of the cops. Are they perfect? No. Are some of them bad guys? Yeah, because they're humans. Just like there are bad history professors, and there are bad county workers, and there are bad accountants, and there are bad garbage men, and some people are bad people. And sometimes things like that happen, and we do our very best to weed them out. But generally speaking, we see this all the time. Um, you know, police officers being destroyed in the media for the one or two bad apples that ruin the whole bunch. And nobody pays enough attention to stories like this. When the bullets are flying, they run toward them. They save people. And, and, and to the idiots who want to defund the police or abolish the police, did you see the latest Black Lives Matter Philadelphia leader proposing a five-year plan to not just defund, to eliminate police officers? They, want, they think they can somehow create a society in which crime doesn't exist and therefore police officers won't be needed. I'm not exaggerating that. They said it's going to take five years for us to implement our plans to get these nonviolent, uh, you know, uh, sociologists and these, uh, you know, psychologists and other people to come in and explain to people how to live without committing crimes and we won't need the police, blah, blah, blah. As if there hasn't been since the, since the beginning of human history violence, for crying out loud. As soon as Cain killed his brother with a rock, I mean, we, we had violence between people. People are going to do evil things. They're going to do bad things, sometimes for, for terrible reasons. Sometimes maybe for, not, you know, for reasons that are less so, but still victimize people. And they want to get rid of the police? Watch the video of the Cleveland police officers that was, re, that, uh, that were, uh, was released yesterday. Watch them as they tell the uh, innocent bystanders, as they're being shot at, to get in front of them so they could shield them. Tell me we don't need police. Who are you going to call when somebody is victimized by a violent crime? And this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. This is the kind of stuff we're dealing with with this ridiculous conversation in America today. This is, again, the uh, uh, one of the Black Lives Matter uh, leaders in Philadelphia. You, you, you need to hear this. I think to really be pushed to make a decision um, about what, what kind of person they want to be and what side do they want to stand on in history. And it's gotten to an understanding that this is a time that you have to take a hard stance and you have to make an actual decision. And a lot of people have decided that they want to stand on the side of justice and they want to figure out how to do They it. want to stand on the side of justice and yet justice can only be provided by what? Law and order. Rules and consequences. That's what justice is. When someone does something bad to somebody else and is held accountable, that's justice. And they want to abolish police? That is the abolishment or the abolition of justice. All right, I guess we're going to read a lot of this from this point on. My apologies. I don't want to do that. But Black Lives Matter is basically saying this, that they want to start a five-year plan uh, that will uh, lead to the complete abolition of police officers. It gives time over five years, she said, to the, for the community to begin to build what is needed. We aren't looking to leave any kind of vacancy around the issue of safety. In other words, while we're building our, while we are building our plan to get rid of police, we will enjoy police protection. I just ponder that for a moment. 
from her purview, one of the leading factors of crime is, or leading factors leading to crime is poverty and hunger. And that in turn drives drug use and drug related crimes. That's one of the most aggravating statements that I hear about the, you know, about crime in the inner city. That it's driven by poverty. Because you know what? There are a whole lot of very poor people living in rural America in trailers and in, uh, uh, you know, just let's just say less than, um, uh, desirable conditions who aren't out there jacking other people to steal money from them so they can go and buy drugs. It's not happening in all or, uh, all uh, 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 poverty-stricken areas. So why are we using that as an excuse? And I just gave you the answer to my own question. It's just an excuse. As we address these particular concerns, she said, at the same time we build restorative justice practices and build out our mental health response teams and build medic responses, she said. These are responses that will really deal with the issues that are in place, and then we'll have less crime anyway. So in other words... We're going to cut down crime, not all of it, but we're going to cut down crime by having mental health response. What does that mean? Build medic responses. What does that mean? All that means is, is when some nut is shooting someplace up, you're going to send a mental health counselor out there to get shot too. And then the medic responses, we're going to make sure that we have enough ambulances to deal with all the dead bodies that are going to be created by this ridiculous no police policy. I mean, it's just insane. Uh, response from, uh, uh, or excuse me, let me see. I'm trying to find her name here. Her name is uh, her name is Yane Nigo. It, it might be it might be just no. It's N D G O, and I'm really trying on it uh, best I can. Anyway, uh, she said that the community should deal with issues from the ground up. "Quote: There are plenty of people who have been murdered as a result of mental health checks. The police came and then they murdered the person, even though the person was acting erratically, which is one what would expect what one would expect of a person who's having a mental health crisis." End quote. Uh, and then she said, "Domestic confrontations are also things that police are often called for, and these are kinds of situations situations that can be handled by different kinds of professionals. As it relates to violent crime, there should still be trained individuals who are prepared to handle those situations. Yeah, they're called cops. And by the way, do you know how many cops have been attacked by by irate?" Uh, husbands who have been having the domestic issue, they've been beating their wife, and then it's, they're furious because the neighbors called 911, and the cops showed up at the door, and then the cops get attacked. You know how many times that happens? But So what are you going to do? You're going to send a mental health professional there to talk the, the angry uh, uh, husband who's beating his wife or beating his kids down? That, that's, that's your answer to this? No, we send armed people to these situations because the situations can very easily become violent. And someone needs to protect everyone in the home, everyone in the neighborhood, and yes, themselves. The mental health checks, you know, the mental health checks aren't too too far off from the drunk calls. Drunk people acting erratically. Drunk people acting uh, violently, perhaps. What do you think happened in Toledo? For crying out loud. Officer Dia, who they just buried for crying out loud, or actually, uh, and i got a story to add on to that too. Officer Dia, who was just killed in Toledo, was responding to a call about an erratically acting guy. You know, now was, was he high? Was he stoned? Was he drunk? Doesn't matter. He's, he's got, they've got to respond to a situation. And just, you know, people, people like these Black Lives Matter actors think we can just send um, anybody there, a psychologist there, to really find out what's, what's causing this person's distress. Uh, whether it's a substance, whether it's chemical, whether it's alcohol, whether it's mental impairment, whatever it may be. Well, let's go talk about it. Well, this individual was approached by a police officer who turned around, pulled a gun, and killed him. 
People seem to think that every situation that is nonviolent at the beginning cannot become violent when somebody tries to intervene. Intervention can lead to that violence, especially when people are not in their right minds. And we see that all the time. The good story, by the way, I wanted to throw there, Chris DiRico, um, who, who joins us every year in uh, September or close to September to promote and talk about the uh, Tunnel to Towers organization, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation, the Frank Siller uh, Foundation, um, he uh, contacted me uh, a few days ago and told me that in this organization, you may or may not recall, Stephen Siller was the New York fire off, uh, fire department uh, firefighter who on 9-11 was uh, on his way to play golf with his brother and some other people and uh, found out what happened and tried to turn around and go back to work. It was his off day and, and wanted to go help and found himself on the other side of was it the Lincoln Tunnel? I, got, I can't remember which tunnel it was, but found himself on the other side of a tunnel, could not turn around, could not go back uh, and drive back to uh, you know lower Manhattan to go and assist. So because of the traffic and everything was closed and so on, so he opened his trunk, gathered all of his gear, put it on, you know, roughly 100 pounds worth, and then began what was a three, I want to say a three-mile run in all of that gear to get to the towers then proceeded to climb the stairs in the towers where his life ended. Um, that's the Tunnel to Tower story and the organization that was founded in his name, essentially to uh, help first responders, whether it be, they be firefighters, police officers, medics, whatever. And Chris Rico, who uh, helps uh, support and, and, uh, and raise funds for and helps the Tunnel to Towers 5K run that is done every year, uh, he contacted me a couple of days ago and said uh, they are, the Tunnel to Towers organization is paying the mortgage, the full, complete mortgage for Officer Diaz family in Toledo. This is what they do. They pay off mortgages for the survivors of first responders who lose their lives or who find themselves seriously injured, uh, sometimes for uh, uh, soldiers, military personnel who come home wounded. Uh, they'll help buy them homes that are more... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, adapted to whatever their disability may, may be. They just take care of those who take care of others. And uh, so Chris tells me that they will be paying for the f- complete mortgage for the Dia family to try to ease some of the burden for that family after the loss of Officer Dia. Okay, uh, got off on a tangent there. Apologies, but I did want to tell both of those stories, and we'll come right back after this. Okay, it's 9.54. We're covering a lot of ground here in hour number one. Uh, a lot of different subjects that we have to speak on. The good news is um, I've got uh, four more hours to hit on all of those because uh, I'll be on for the next hour, obviously, and then after a short break, I'll be hosting the Dennis Prager Show today from noon to three, and I think you're going to want to hear that. Let's go to some phone calls now at 216-901-0945, and we'll talk to TJ first. Hey, TJ, go ahead. Yeah, hi, Bob. Uh, you know, Bob, people better realize the ramifications of this election, you know, in November. If they take power, this Marxist left, the first thing they're going to do is increase the size of the Supreme Court to 15, which will guarantee them a favorable uh, 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 decision forever. The next thing they're going to do is make Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico statehood, which will give them four more senators. Uh, then they're going to make illegal millions of illegal immigrants uh, registered voters, which will guarantee these people power forever. 
I'm telling you, Bob, if we lose this, the game's over. We'll never win another election once they implement this stuff. Uh, and with their Supreme Court in their back pocket, that'll be the end of the Electoral College, where the popular vote will win every election. That'll be the end of the Second Amendment. And this is what's coming with these people. This is the most important election. And on the lighter side, you know, with these masks, I was reading there, you know how most of these masks go behind your ear and they pull your ear forward? You know, in a year or so, we're going to have a country walking around looking like Howdy Doody or Alfred E. Newman, you know, with their ears. But, uh, but people better really start talking to their friends and their family. What's at stake at this election is, in, is really the country itself. TJ, I love the first part. Thanks for the call, my friend. I love the first part, but as far as the comedy routine, eh, keep your day job. Uh, okay, yeah, you're right about so much of what uh, is going to happen, and that's why we talk about this. And, and by the way, the Biden um, po- platform has been laid out. Did you see this? The Biden team co- joined forces with and combined with the Bernie Sanders team to come up with the most ridiculously liberal, progressive platform of any candidate in American history. And by the way, Biden, once again, as is his nature, plagiarized so much from the Bernie Sanders platform. But the two teams put together a 110-page platform in which they plan to do so much of what TJ just said. He's not wrong. Now, whether they'll be successful in getting all of that done in one four-year term, you know, as far as, you know, the Supreme Court being packed and and, and statehood for, for D.C. and Puerto Rico and all these other things, we'll see. I don't know if that can all be done in one one term, and maybe by then the country will realize where we are and, and, and stop that nonsense. But I don't want to wait and find out, do you? We cannot let Joe Biden win the White House, and we cannot let the Democrats take control of the United States Senate. They're doing enough damage with control of the United States House. John and Chardon on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, John, go ahead. Hey, Bob. On our kids going back to school this fall, I understand they pose no threat regarding the virus to one another. But what about the kids being a carrier and bringing it back to their parents and other adults? extraordinarily rare extraordinarily rare the science is in you know people people ignore this science and they talk about it all the time kids being carriers especially asymptomatic and transmitting uh, the disease thank you john for the call to to adults is an extraordinarily small risk uh that's number one and number two if you are you know because some kids are raised by their grandparents right some kids are living in homes with or maybe a grandparent lives with the mom and dad uh to help take care of them uh, and so if you live with somebody who's a senior citizen or somebody who is uh, maybe in a particularly high-risk group, then what you do is that kid does remote learning. That kid can learn on his computer to make the entirety of a school district tell all of the kids that they have to stay home and not learn in class and actually experience school the way school is meant to be because of the few that may have somebody that they live with that would be in, in jeopardy um, is just insanity. It's stupidity is what it is. It, it makes no sense whatsoever, and that's why I find it, uh, and, and like I said, the rarity, too. The numbers are out there. The rarity of, of, of children spreading the disease to adults uh, makes this a non-starter. Thank you, John. Appreciate that call. Let me go to Cindy in uh, Lakewood. Hey, Cindy, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. I'll make this quick. Um, two quick points. One about Black Lives Matter and one about um, um, our local police here. Um, I heard last night on a TV show that a woman by the name of Susan Rosenberg is helping fund and organize Black Lives Matter. She was locked up years ago for supposedly bombing the um, the Navy, um, one of the Navy schools in the Capitol. Yeah. And her sentence was 59 years, and Clinton, 
pardoned her on his last day in office after 15 years. And um, that also, is 100 um, percent accurate. Everything you just said. She is a she is a violent, violent criminal who was sentenced, as you said, and and Bill Clinton let her out of prison with no explanation explanation whatsoever. And, and then, and then very quickly, um, our police chief in Lakewood is retiring. And one of his last statements was something like, policing should not be a left or right issue. Now, back at the end of May, our city council and our mayor let, you know, Antifa and Black Lives Matter march through the city. And then our superintendent put a letter in, in the Sun Post about how great this was and how we have to teach our kids to be tolerable and there's so much racism. So if you're a number one, thank you to the police chief and thank you to Lakewood. I love my two to three minute response time. Number two, if you're a parent in Lakewood, you better be calling that board of education because they're going to be teaching the 1619 program to your kids. That's despicable. And Lakewood with house to house to house, one Molotov cocktail on a windy day, the whole darn city goes up in flames. Thank you so much for the great show. Great, great points all the way or across the board. And you're right. One of the leading fundraisers of the Black Lives Matter organization is Susan Rosenberg. And Susan Rosenberg, Rosenberg is everything that she just described uh, her as. Uh, a very violent criminal who was had her sentence commuted by Bill Clinton on his last day in office. News time now. Dr. Everett Piper. Now-